Welcome to Rubrics, a St. Timothy's podcast. Today, as we are recording, it is the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, June 29th. I'm Father Steve Rice, Rector of St. Timothy's Episcopal Church in Winston-Salem with Father Luke Klingstead, our curate uh, at St. Timothy's. And we are back this week after being gone last week, after being in Grand Bahama Mm -hmm. on a mission trip. It sounds sexier than it actually was, although the beaches are beautiful and the people are beautiful. A lot of work to be done after the hurricane in 2019, Hurricane Dorian. Um, lots of things that happen, lots of reflections that I'm sure we might bring up at a, at a later date. But our apologies for being gone last week. And there will not be a podcast next week Correct. because on another rare concurrence of our schedules, we will both be gone next week. But um, we look forward to resuming them um, thereafter. Yeah, it's it's June, July. It's it's when everyone's you know vacations seem to line up and and trips and all that. So it did, it is. And so on the feast of Saints Peter and Paul, we we are thinking today especially about the church and our prayers are with those that typically in the Church of England where Peter-tide ordinations are common, mm-hmm. so lots of uh, our friends and colleagues are celebrating their ordination anniversaries or are being ordained right now. Um, it's a reflection on the foundation of the Church, of uh, those two pillars of Peter and Paul who gave their life uh, for uh, our Lord and are responsible for so much of, of this body mm-hmm. as it was being um, formed in those early days. So we were thinking about that, grateful um, grateful for their witness and um, their continual inspiration of being the apostles to the Gentiles and the apostles to the Jews and really a powerful um, uh, entryway to think about how the church is held together with tension, with division, uh, but through uh, with unity mm-hmm. through it all. Um, so it's a feast day that I think that is often neglected somewhat because again because of the of the time when it yep. falls i mean yep. it's it's uh, smack dab, it's, it's smack dab in the middle and everyone's traveling out. but it really is such an important feast uh, and these two saints are are deserving of our contemplation and um certainly we we ask for their intercession to to guide this local parish and, mm-hmm. and all the churches into unity and to the fullness of faith mm-hmm. well let me open us in prayer and then we'll talk a little bit about peter and paul Let us pray. Almighty God, whose blessed apostles Peter and Paul glorified thee by their martyrdom, grant that thy church, instructed by their teaching and example, and knit together in unity by thy Spirit, may ever stand firm upon the one foundation which is Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the same Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I'm going to make a shameless plug for our YouTube channel. If you've only ever listened to this uh, in a podcast format, go and check out the YouTube channel, and you can see Father Steve in his civilian clothes. So Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. But um, if you've ever only watched or listened to the audio, um, look on YouTube. I'm going to pull up a couple um, icons or paintings here in a second. And so if you want to see those, um, we, we upload everything to YouTube as well. And you can see us banter back and forth. It might help you stay focused a little bit more. So Peter and Paul is today. 
Um, at Mass this morning, I preached a little bit about um, some events in Peter's life, and then Paul, you know, on his own has his his grand conversion and his his you know tragic past and and um, holy future and and all of that wrapped up into one. These are two pretty big saints. Uh, maybe you know you can answer for people. It's at hard home. to be bigger, I think. Yeah. yeah. Why are they grouped together? I mean, they they could each have. 15 different lessons and, and homilies and things on their own and putting them together almost feels a little overwhelming. So so maybe why has the church, you know, aligned these two together? Well, they are separate and they are together. I mean, we have we have their dual feasts in January, the 18th and the 25th of the conversion of Paul and the confession of yep. St. Peter. So we have really in the in the church's rhythm of prayer their their beginning and their end, um, which is important. And then June 29th, of course, we remember their martyrdom mm-hmm. um, because they I mean, Peter was beheaded. Um, excuse me. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. Paul was beheaded uh, in Rome. And what's really interesting to me, I keep forgetting this, is the obelisk that's in yeah. St. Peter's Square was was there when Peter was when um, 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 uh, Paul was uh, beheaded, mm-hmm. and that may have been one of the last things that he saw yeah, uh, be- be- before before he died. So these are these are the two pillars. I mean, they're responsible for so much of of the expansion of the church. So much responsible, so much for the New Testament. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul, especially, but you know, Peter being the the chief of the apostles. I mean, they really they really are literally foundational yeah. on which the church is built. And you see this in iconography. And you, you may actually have. Yeah, I'm Icons. Let me pull up this first one. Do you have one of them holding the church? So this is, uh, I don't have one of them holding the church, but this is uh, Christ in Glory with St. Peter and Paul by uh, Moreto de Brescia. Um, if you want to look that up, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see it up on the screen. But here you actually see um, Paul holding you know, the scriptures, of the Bible, for writing so many of those, and Peter in his hand has the key. And they're presenting both of those to Christ in, in glory in heaven. But that idea of you know, each in their own way so foundational, um, safeguarding the church, writing the scriptures, presenting those back to, to Christ who gave them the power to begin with. What I love so much about Peter and Paul is how flawed they are and how flawed they are in the Gospels. Peter denied Jesus three times, dramatically Mm -hmm. so. Paul, I mean, you really can't overstate this. I mean, and I have really been thinking lately, and the the lesson for evening prayer last night on the first Evensong was from Galatians, and it was really Paul talking about... Um, and we forget, I think, how long Paul's ministry was. And in the opening yeah. of Galatians, he's um, talking about, you know, 14 years I've yeah. been doing this and so on and so forth, about how much suspicion surrounded him yeah. by the Christians, especially mm-hmm. in Jerusalem. Again, we know. And he depended on people to kind of introduce him back Correct. to some of the like people. Barnabas who, yeah, was Barnabas one who was would a do big that. One. Yeah, and, and, but, but completely understandable, here is a yeah. man that was the chief persecutor of the church, responsible, and we, we've said this in church and on this podcast, responsible for the death of Stephen mm-hmm. and how, how moving it is here where we have relics of both Stephen yeah. and Paul to have the murderer basically and the, the one who was murdered together yeah. uh, and, and unified is a, is a powerful witness of, of, the, of the gospel. But they were absolutely flawed, mm-hmm. not, not slightly flawed, but they, when, they, when they fell, they fell hard. I mean, you know, in our, in our world today, you, you think of worse murder. I mean, 
Well, there we go. Worse sin, murder. Yeah. I mean, people kind of, that's that's it. You can't go any well, worse than that. you have murder and you have apostasy. And then I was about to yeah. say, in the Christian world, you know, especially in the early church, what is the gravest sin? It's apostasy. And there were huge fights about people who, you know, rejected Jesus. Yeah. And, and what do we do with them? So you have, you know, in our world today, murder, that's kind of as bad as you can get. In the early church, apostasy. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that. And yet these are the two on which the church was built. Yeah. Peter on this rock, I will build my church. Um, the apostle to the Jews, mm-hmm. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't get bigger. So if we ever think that our past, either before we came to faith or even while we're in faith, remember yeah. Peter's, Peter's denial is after he says, you are the Christ. Peter's denial happened at the cross, yeah. for crying out loud. Um, I mean, just look at them. I mean, that 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 internal dialogue doesn't make any sense in the light of the gospel no. and and in the in the in the writings of Paul because because they are shining examples of people who are broken, mm-hmm. but but we remember them because of their restoration in Jesus Christ, and that's exactly what they would say. You know, when is it? I forget which one it was, Peter or Paul or whoever. When they were people bowed down to worship them, yeah. you know, said, no, 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 you worship God, not me. Yeah. Uh, I am who I am, uh, Paul, the chief of all sinners. Mm-hmm. Um, here only by the grace of Jesus Christ. Such a powerful, powerful witness. Um, but that unity and strength in the midst of such brokenness is just inspirational. And you can even take a different approach and, and look at their relationships with each other and see that there was there was conflict there. Yeah. There was a lot of arguments. There was a lot of... Um, you know, pushing back and forth um, theologically, you know, how do we, what does the Gentile Jewish relationship look like? Practically, you know, how they're going about their ministry. Um, flawed individuals and also, you know, not always the best example of Christian friendship. And yet, and I'm going put to up, put up an icon here, in so many icons, we see them, you know, grasping each other and giving almost a, a, the kiss of peace to each other, um, being united in spite of even their own personal differences yeah. and, and, you know, arguments. Um, in Christ, they are united back to Jesus, and in Christ, they are united back to one another. Kind of that image of, you know, the two pillars of the church, in spite of their difficulties and differences, being united together and showing that unity, um, you know, that our, that our colleague says, in unity by the Spirit, that they may ever stand firm upon the one foundation, which is Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, what they both desired more than anything else was Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And Peter's words in the, in the um, I don't know if it was at Mass today or morning prayer, Lord, to whom shall we go? Yeah, yeah. Where, I mean, where, where else are we going to go? You have the words You of have the life. words of eternal life, and, and Paul echoes that completely um, in all of his writings. And so the, even though they may have had personality clashes mm-hmm. or even disagreements as to how things should play out, what they were 100% unified on was the centrality of Jesus Christ and his and his salvific work and their own restoration and transformation in him. Mm-hmm. And if we start there, I think that is the model that those those differences and those different approaches and even personalities and styles will find a way to have some resolution. Mm-hmm. It's when we don't have that common understanding and foundation of who Jesus Christ is that um, those those differences will never find a way of coming closer to yeah. to a resolution. Um, to close our, our you know talk about Peter and Paul and move us to our next topic. The the thing I preached on this morning that I always think of when it comes to Peter is the the trajectory his life has, and it's kind of hinged on those two sea encounters. 
The first, you know, he, he makes the confession of who Jesus Christ is. He, he intellectually knows you are the Christ, kind of knows the baggage that comes with that. And when Jesus invites him to walk on the water, you know, early on in his life and ministry, Peter takes that first step boldly and then is consumed by, you know, the waves around him. He, you know, is consumed by the cares of the world and, and loses the sight of Jesus and, and sinks. Later on in his life, after he's made his denial, after he's, Jesus has risen from the dead, there's another encounter of the sea. And, and Jesus is walking on the shoreline, and the disciples in the boat see him. And John says, it is the Lord. And this time, Peter doesn't even wait for an invitation, doesn't say, you know, invite me to come to you. He plunges headlong into the sea and swims as fast as he can to Jesus. This time, doesn't even care about the waves of the world. They're in the back of his mind. He simply acts as if they don't exist. And I said this morning that I think that what has changed, the clue to that is what Jesus asked him after he gets to the shore, which is, do you love me? And he asked him it three times. It's a wonderful way to kind of atone for his threefold denial. But what has changed is, you know, he sees Jesus, he knows who Jesus is, and now finally he loves Jesus above all else. And it's that that love of Christ that has transformed Peter and kind of washed away his denial, washed away his sins of the past, and now his sole focus is the love of Christ. Um, and that power- really plays out in all of our lives. Yeah, it's a I really think. powerful, is powerful um, story in John's gospel mm-hmm. when you have sort of cleansing through jumping in the water. Yeah. You have a char- yeah, that's true. You have a charcoal fire. Yeah. Which is there, which was also there. in the lips of Isaiah. Yeah, but yeah, that charcoal cool. fire was also there at the uh, the night before his crucifixion. Oh, that's right. So, yeah. I mean, that charcoal fire is not a throwaway um, um, detail. Very, very important. Of the two, Peter and Paul, which one do you personally find yourself identifying the most with? I think Peter, just because I think, you know, my past is, is not like Paul's. Um, now, I do think, you know, we all... I. I find myself having a similar tendency of, I've made mistakes, I'm outside the love of God. No, I'm not. Paul did, you know, the worst of the worst in his own words. But I think for me, Peter's, you know, denial, and and especially when I think about that trajectory of saying, yeah, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God. I know that. I know the baggage that comes with that. I've dedicated my life to it. And yet, there are times in my life when I act indifferent toward him, as if I'm denying him. I act as if this doesn't really matter. And that's, you know, the temptation to me sometimes. I grow weary or bored or indifferent, um, and I have to be reminded that, you know, don't lose that love of Jesus. Um, that is the only thing that can rescue you out of that indifference, is to, to see the, the unashamed, you know, love of Christ that compels Peter to just plunge headlong as if nothing else matters. Um, I think I think he's the one I relate to most. What about you? Well, I think I do. I relate to both, and I think part of their personality clashes, if that was the case, is they both are probably alpha men. Yeah, yeah. Both hot-headed, yeah. and so I have I have that that initial attraction to both. I think Paul, and I was looking at the um, the epistle for July 9th when I am preaching, and that's when Paul says. You know the things that I want to do, I don't do. Yeah, the things that yeah. I, you know, that um, is such a relatable line. It is, but and I think what I love about Paul's writings, I mean, Paul is, and I mean, this is the beauty of of, of having just personal correspondence mm-hmm. and being able to see a person's personality come through, is that in one document he can be sublime in his theological prose, and then he can almost get 
petty and nasty, yeah. you know, a chapter later. And internally, sometimes I think I have the capacity for beautiful theological reflection. But then before I'm even done with it, I just go yeah, right down petty, to yeah. the petty nastiness. And I, I, I identify uh, with that. And also, I think pastorally, we have more of an insight into Paul's pastoral struggles mm-hmm. and, yeah. um, and the realities of, of, of leading Christians, which nothing has changed since Paul was yeah. founding these churches. It's, the issues it's are, humorous at times. It's, it's humorous and sad in the sense that, um, I mean, nothing really has moved. The needle hasn't moved. It's right. the same exact right. sort of stuff, especially when you're reading Paul's advice to Timothy, which I do fairly often because this is St. Timothy's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's that connection there, but no, I, you know, Paul, and I think Paul gets. Um, I mean, I think, I think Paul is being has been rehabilitated of late. Yeah. There was a period of time where um, he was not in vogue in, in sort of Christian circles and, and certainly in scholarship. But yeah. I think, I think there's been a reappraisal of, of as Paul. there should be. There, yeah. there was an attempt for a little bit to almost pit Paul against Jesus um, yeah. against each other, which I always. Laughed at because if if Paul was here, he would correct. He would not not put up with that. What in I, any sense? What of you the mean word. by that is that there, there was a, there was an argument that Paul invented the Christ. Yes, basically, and, and there was you know this attempt to say, well, Paul's version of Christianity yeah. is different than the words that Jesus speaks, which is absolutely ridiculous. And there's no room for that in 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 the church. I mean, there there really is not because if you actually read Paul. All he's talking about are the words that Jesus spoke, and and he's carrying on the tradition of the apostles, and they are they are, you know, in step with one another. Not only that, but when you go to something, I think it's First Corinthians, right, where the institution narrative is. Yeah. That predates any institution in the Gospels. Yeah. Most of Paul's writings were written before the Gospels. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, the attempt to you know pit the Gospels against Paul, um, you you lose that battle pretty quickly, and so we have to remember to view them as one and the same and then you know you then you take that a step further and you see Paul talking about you know the the god that I follow is the same as god of Abraham and then that puts the old testament in in you know union with all that and so you know you read Paul and to take him seriously you put him with the gospels and him with the old testament and even him with revelation and, and all the scriptures are, are unified in jesus christ i also like paul is a good <clears throat> model for us and, and we'll i think this will segue into some of the things we'll talk about of presenting the gospel in a in a in a culture that is no longer steeped in the gospel yeah and you know there's there's that that great that great scene um in 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 the in the book of acts mm-hmm. where um you know paul was walking around uh, where was he the areopagus i, I was about to pull up and, and he's there and he's seeing out. he's seeing all of these all of these altars and and instead of simply berating them and saying you, you've got it all wrong, he recognizes the intuition that there is a creator, there is the divine, there mm-hmm. is the holiness, and and he, he understands that they've 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 they're off track, but he says you know listen I see how religious you are and yeah. it wasn't a condemnation, he, but he says he's trying prob- to be he's trying to be sincere. He says the problem is you 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 don't know where to go. You even have a, a shrine to an unknown god, mm-hmm. and he says you're worshiping what you don't know. I can show you what we do know, who is Jesus Christ, and he yeah, even here quotes, is uh, Raphael's. Yeah. 
yeah. portrayal of Paul at the Areopagus. And then, you know, he talks about how, and he even quotes, uh, you know, a philosopher, you know, that great prayer using that line of, of um, in, in whom we live and move and have our being. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. using, he's using the currency that they were familiar with and yeah. they used both in language and philosophy and theology and even, even in liturgy. And he took that um, and, and used that as a way to direct them toward the fullness of the truth, yeah. which is a beautiful thing, which we have to do as well. He was well-educated, and it, and it shows, you know, in how he preaches and, and kind of adopts, like, the Stoics of the day, you know, the idea of getting rid of the passions, and then Paul will kind of adopt that language and say, we have to get rid of the passions of the flesh yeah. to turn to Jesus Christ. I love this uh, Raphael's painting of it because you see, if you just scan the crowd, um, and it's on the screen now, you see kind of... Um, all walks of of life there and you see you know one person you know or a couple people kind of looking to the ground as if they're indifferent you see others this um, is a great reason to watch this on youtube by the way yeah exactly so you can you can see what we're talking about you see uh, another one far left of the screen almost in a posture of of prayer um listening intently you see paul obviously in the center with his hands raised preaching and then you have this wonderful man on the right with his you know face um joyful and his arms outstretched as if he's saying, I've heard of the Greek philosophers, I've heard of Stoicism, I know all this stuff, but there's something lacking. And Paul finally is saying, here's what was lacking. Here's what was yeah. missing. And he's receiving it joyfully. So Paul is um, well equipped to present the gospel in a variety of con- of contexts. And he does a tremendous job, if you read Acts and his letters, in making Christ be presentable to all people. I love his line um, that we joke sometimes we joke about i mean we use in a joking manner i'm all things to all people yeah. sometimes we joke that we we wear many hats and, mm-hmm. and i'll 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 do what i need to do paul wasn't trying to be duplicitous he wasn't trying to be uh fake he was just simply saying whatever i need to do in this situation yeah. to bring you to jesus christ yeah. i can be that mm-hmm. Um, and the best example f- to make sense of that is this beautiful thing that I learned a long time ago that in the Royal Navy, chaplains in the Royal Navy do not have rank. Yeah, this is great. They assume the rank of the person they're talking to. So if yep. you're talking to an enlisted sailor, that is the rank of the chaplain. If you're talking to the admiral of the fleet, you are yeah. talking as an admiral. And I think that's a wonderful way of walking with people to help them come to know Jesus Christ yeah. is you assume their rank, whatever mm-hmm. that may be, and it's a- to be all things to all it's people. a way to let their barriers go down. You know, you don't, you're not talking to a superior or an inferior. You don't have to worry about any of that. Yep. They're the exact same as you. Let yep. your guard down. Have a real talk. Where right you now. are, that's where I yeah. am. And together we're going to the fullness of yeah, faith. Yeah, that's a wonderful example. So, so Paul writes to all sorts of churches. Um, and this will be a, a way to transition to kind of our next topic. Um, and we you know, talk a lot about, you read Paul's, uh, Paul's letters. They're just as applicable to the church in America as they were to the church in Corinth or Ephesus or, um, you know, to his writings to Timothy, whatever it may be. Um, I think, you know, there's a, a compelling case that we should start reading Paul's letters as if they are written to us. Because for a long time, the church in America kind of held itself with a little bit of pride, you know, with this boom in religion in the 70s and 80s. We're, we're past that. Um, we, were, we were talking this morning, um, every month, I think this happens, there, there's more n- numbers or whatever that comes out, not just for the Episcopal Church, but for all sorts of denominations who are just, frankly, you know, hemorrhaging people. Um, they're doing more funerals than baptisms, which is always, 
you know, the quick way to say, are you growing or dying? Um, more funerals or whatever. They like the Episcopal Church has done, I think, four times more funerals in the last recorded year than baptisms. Yeah, not even close. So we have an older congregation. A lot of them are dying. We're not, we're not baptizing new people into the faith. We're not, you know, confirming people. Th- those numbers which, are not let's just say, matching each other. You know, in, in, during my time here, which is when, which is not to say me, just that's the only numbers I'm familiar with, right. we always had more baptisms than funerals. Not in the past couple of three years, yeah, though. Not, not at all. Not even close the number of baptisms. Mm-hmm. I mean, the funerals have far outweighed the baptisms. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's it's... And people kind of have their own way of doing this. You know, every month there's some new blog about what do we do to reverse the numbers. But I think what's worth us talking about this morning is um, going back to the basics. Why do people come to church? Why should we come to church? And then secondly, and, and this you know ties in with the first part, what actually happens at church? Because I think if we're clear about why we should come to church and what happens at church— well, then we have the ability to go make a compelling case to the world. Um, you know, we can sit here in this room and, and talk into a podcast. The goal is for people who are listening to this podcast and for people in the pews to, of their own power, to feel compelled to go invite people to church. And, and part of the way that people feel empowered to do that is by understanding what happens at church. You know, you don't invite someone to a sports game without yourself knowing this is going to be fun or entertaining because I've been to one before. I understand it's fun. There's good food. We can chat. We have a good time. So you want to invite someone to that. Well, when you ask people why they don't invite people to church, you know, they'll say it's because oh, I don't I don't have anyone to invite. I think those are all cover ups for the real reason, which is. I don't feel confident in in why we go to church. If somebody asks me, well, why should I go to your church? I don't know if I have an answer. So let's let's talk for a little bit about what what happens at church and why should people come to church. Well, I think we first have to simply explore the question: what is the what's the goal of the Christian? Yeah, the goal of the Christian is to know Jesus Christ. is, is yeah. to is to is to gaze upon God in the yeah. beatific vision. is to is to have eternal life. Mm-hmm. Is the goal of the Christian is heaven. All that together. And um, which pause there? What is the what is not the goal of the Christian life? It's not to make friends. It's not to have a, a happy life. It's not even to, you know, have a fulfilling family. Those are all good things. We should all want that. But that's not the goal of the Christian life. Those are subservient to the one true goal. Again, to go back to Paul, the heavenward call of Christ Jesus. Yeah. I press on so that I may obtain that. So that is that is the goal. And um, so then Jesus Christ giving us that goal and showing us this through his ascension. This is where where I am, you may be. Yeah. You know, I go to prepare a place for you. Um, that he's now, he's given us the destination. He has not left us, as he said, orphans yeah. or abandoned. He's given us the means to do that, that strength for the journey, um, the way to know him. And that is through uh, his body, the church. St. Irenaeus, whom we celebrated yesterday as his, as his feast day, among his famous things that he's remembered as saying is, you cannot have God as your father without the church as your mother. 
the mothers are the ones that deliver us that i mean that 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 bring forth that we come from our mother to into, into new life and so the church is our mother in that sense through the sacraments through baptism through the holy eucharist through through the other sacramental rites through being together and all those sorts of things so um so how we come to know who jesus christ is in his fullness and to and to be oriented toward that beatific vision to move toward that heavenward call of christ jesus comes through the gifts that Jesus Christ himself established and gave to us through his church. We need to remember that the church, again, going back to the, to the um, negative thoughts about Paul, aren't some you know, man-made construct yeah. to preserve our power. The church is supposed to be a servant and mm-hmm. even suffering in doing this, not not exploiting people. So Jesus Christ gave us these things um, so that we may know him and be strengthened, uh, mainly through the sacramental system which imparts grace. Grace is has a causality to it. it, it, it the sacraments bring about a reality within us. They show, they communicate, but they also bring about something. Um, and so when we come to church, we're coming objectively for that causality, for that strength, for that renewal that we have in, in the Holy Spirit, primarily. Now, secondarily, all kinds of wonderful things happen. Community, inspiration, um, connection to service, all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But for me, the primary reason to come to worship is A, to give God His due. Yes. Which um, I think Thomas Aquinas rightly associated religion with the virtue of justice. Yeah. Justice is to give someone what is their due. Yeah. What they're, what they're owed. If justice is being done, that means someone got what was coming to them, either good or bad. Mm-hmm. Right? So um, God, because God is holy, uh, to worship him is is just it yeah. is and think about our eucharistic prayer it is meet and right yeah. it is just and right it's an act of justice to do mm-hmm. this so by coming to worship we're acknowledging who god is um but then we also receive um these great gifts that we have yeah. in the sacraments and, and that's there's all kinds of wonderful things that we get that we enjoy community and um, acts of service that we can find in other avenues. Mm-hmm. But the sacramental world, <clears throat> the sacramental gifts are the one thing, are the things that are exclusive to the church. Yeah. And they're exclusive to the church in community. Yep. Um, and they're, they, again, they're, they're causal. They bring something about within us that is objective and powerful. And I think that is what has been poorly communicated mm-hmm. for generations. This is not a COVID thing. Four generations. Um, and um, I think we have lost sight as to why that is why we come. If you, I think if you were to ask most Christians, forget Episcopalians, most Christians, even sacramental Christians, Roman Catholics, Orthodox, Lutherans, etc., I don't know if the sacramental reality would be the first answer as to why do I come to church. And it's probably not for most people. And that, I think that part is, is part of what, you know, puts that doubt in our minds about, am I sure why we should come to church? You know, then I'm not so sure why I should invite people. I think you bring up uh, <clears throat> the point you made, two things. One, you said, um, you said it. I just want to make it explicit. The church is not a human creation 
a practical response to Jesus. It's not a, well, how are we going to do this Christian stuff well? Well, we might as well make a building and, and kind of, that's not what happened. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church mm -hmm. on you, Peter. This is a, a Christ-created institution. Correct. This is not man saying, well, what's the best way to go about this? No, this is simply a, a reception. And our understanding That's, of the priesthood, there is one priest, same. and we participate in yeah. his one priesthood. Yeah, Christians, we're not looking around saying, well, gosh, we, I, guess, I guess we need to make something to, to, to be a Christian so people know. No, this is given to us by Jesus Christ. Knowing that and, and believing it are two different things, but when you actually take that to heart, when you actually take that for what it's will, it absolutely changes why you come to church. You're not coming to, you know, Father Steve's building that, you know, he thinks this is the best way to do church. You're coming to the thing that Jesus Christ gave you and said, here is where you can meet me. Yep. Here is where I promise to be. That's, that's huge. And there's a um, element of trust there that you're dragging in the morning, <clears throat> you're having a hard time. It's fine because God has promised to meet me here this morning. There's no, you know, doubt on, I guess if I go here, is it going to be good enough? Am I going to feel enough to meet God? Am I going to feel like God, you know, is actually present there? No, He's promised to be there. No matter whether you're dragging your feet through the door or whether you're skipping through the door, God will be there, and you can trust in that. I mean, that, that does a lot for you emotionally when you're when you're thinking why should i go to church and so let's just talk about our experience because it is it is unique i mean we have on on a normal week and most of our weeks are normal a minimum of 10 masses a week yeah to which you and i are present at it, eight of them it, yeah 10 and we're present at eight of them yeah. because um we alternate Friday and Saturday, and we alternate 7.30 on Sunday. Yeah. So um, we, we're, we're present at one every day, every day. Um, and on Sunday we're present at twice. So <laughs> if there's anybody on the planet that understands, I don't want to get up this morning yeah. and go, yeah. it's us. I mean, we do it every single, um, almost every single day. And um, like today, I was thinking about this today. Um, you know, you were the celebrant today. I was the officiant at morning prayer, you know, coming to Mass. I, sat on the, I like to sit on the back row, um, even if there's only five or six people, just to see what someone's perspective is yeah. on the back row. I never get to have that experience. Yeah. I'm on the back row. My mind is filtering through about 14 things I need to accomplish today before I go on holiday, things that happened yesterday, things that are pressing here. And, um, you know, was I really jazzed? Was I, you know, you know, singing hymns to Peter and Paul driving in this morning? Mm -hmm. Not really, no. But I'm never left, I'm never left hungry when I come to Mass. I mean, first of all, there is there is the reception of the Holy Eucharist, yeah. which is all inspiring every time if you just pause and think about what's happening. But there's always something either in the lessons or in the propers or a line or a word into in the homily. There's always something there that more than justify the effort and the time yeah. of being there. But but more than anything else, you're right. It is the trust and it is the commitment that I'm going to be here as often as I can because Jesus Christ has promised to be here, and I can feel that over time, making a profound difference in my life about how I think, about how I react, about, about my own faith, about hope. And um, it, I mean, it's something that, that, is, that occurs over time where you can really see it. Mm -hmm. It's um, to the point now, it is, this is my blind spot. 
it is very difficult for me to understand why someone wouldn't want to do this yeah. and why you wouldn't want. And that is a difficult part for me, because if you if you come to understand this is Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary presented, and it's a great gift given to you, and that you, you're there, um, uh, why would you not? Why would you ever miss? Yeah, I forget who the saint was that said, once you understand what is happening at Mass, you would do everything in your power to get there just once. Yep. Just once. Well, St. John Vianney, uh, patron saint of was parish priests, well, he, he said, I think he said, if the priest actually knew what was in his yeah. hands, he would die. He would die, yeah. He would die. Yeah. And and you and I both are guilty is that we know this is Jesus Christ, but but we, we still have that barrier of fully falling down yeah, yeah. And, and just, you know, adoration of what's in our hands mm-hmm. because we're human beings and we're like Peter and Paul and we, we trust and believe it's true, but but we, we we're still human and yeah. there's still that, that that gap that's there that we will that we'll, yeah. we hope God willing will 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 diminish over our priesthood and right. life but we'll never be completely gone until until we see him face to face I mean today uh, I get to the words of institution over the bread and I, I before I actually got to the words of Jesus you know on the night he took bread your mind wandered didn't it well it wasn't necessarily wandering but it was words I've said so many yeah. times and I stumbled over them and then I stumbled over them again and I looked back at the page and had to read them slowly yeah. and in my mind I thought what am I doing we you call know, those mass haps yeah and, and so you know as I, as, as I raised the bread you know you're supposed to say my lord and my god I also said I'm sorry <laughs> I just <laughs> my god I'm sorry <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm holding it up and I'm thinking yeah you know, let my mind wander for a split second, yep. and I stumble over the words. What am I doing? Yeah. Um, the the second part, I think, that you brought up, and and you know, we can um, kind of hammer this as as we hammer it home, is the idea that we we come to offer something to Jesus Christ at church, um, and we do that by uniting our what sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, as as the BCP says, to the bread and the wine. So. You know, I think I've said this with the youth probably a hundred times because it's you really got to understand this movement here. What is happening at the mass? Skip to the offertory. The priest, on behalf of the people, is given the bread and the wine from from the people. You know, it's brought over from the table to offer that to the Father. That then is united to the body and blood of Jesus Christ is transformed into such and is given back to us. We, you know, it's as if the priest, Jesus says, here, take my offering. You've got nothing good to offer. So here you go. The one true sacrifice, take that and offer it to the Father. And that's why we say this sacrifice may be acceptable in thy sight, because it's not anything that we've offered. It's because it is the only acceptable offering that was ever offered. And we are able to now offer that on behalf of the people and then what do the people now offer? Well, they offer their selves, their souls, their bodies, yes. their sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. They don't have anything that, that actually is, is worth offering. But now that Jesus has offered himself and has, has covered that, now we are able to nor, offer Nor do you and me have anything worth offering yeah, in ourselves. Yeah, we're not offering ourselves. Correct. Yeah, we're not offering the bread and the wine that becomes Jesus. It's not because of anything we've done. Nope. It's because Jesus says to the priests, on behalf of the people, take this offering, take my body and blood, offer it to the Father. 
and that is the only acceptable offering. So, you know, I, I try to get the, the, the youth to understand this, and, and most of them do now, that when we show up and when the priest, you know, elevates the bread and the wine, he's doing that on behalf of the people, and that's the only acceptable offering that we could ever offer. Or even and to look at it— it's nothing that we did. To look at it this way, it's Jesus Christ now showing himself through the priest and the yeah, host. Yeah, and that's why there's the, the idea of the in the person of Jesus Absolutely. Christ, so in persona Christi. It's the idea is that, is that we've come wanting to wanting to be united to, to, to God. Mm-hmm. We want to offer praise and thanksgiving, but we have nothing to give. Yeah. And so he is—so we, we have this glimpse into that one moment, that one sacrifice once offered. Mm-hmm. It's not a, a con- repeat sacrifice where Jesus Christ from the cross says come crawl into me yeah crawl into my wounds this is and join body. me as I'm giving this to the father this great act of mm-hmm. love and intercession for the whole world um, just come in here with me and that's what we're doing yeah is that we're united in Eucharistic prayer B says this unite us to your son in his sacrifice yeah. in what he is what he has done that's being presented to us a representation a representation present again mm-hmm. what has already happened it's just mind blowing to me and and again as someone who who now that you're here I can I can I can assist in the sacrifice from the pew mm-hmm. and on at the altar is that it doesn't matter if the hymns are the ones I like. It doesn't matter if the words of the liturgy speak to me in some unique way. It doesn't matter if your sermon's good, bad, or indifferent. That act is why I'm actually mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. All the other things are icing upon the cake that continue to, to edify me, mm-hmm. but the strength I get is from the sacrament. Yeah. And that, I think, is what, um, if we come knowing I'm going to receive the sacramental grace, and that is promised. What is not promised is a good homily. Yeah. What is not promised is a flawless anthem. Mm-hmm. What is not promised are people in love and charity around you. When that happens by the grace of God, how the blessings just yeah. overflow um, with abundance. But what is promised, regardless of the, of the priest um, or anything else, is Jesus Christ is there. Yeah. Where else can you get that? <clears throat> yeah. And so I, I love the, the emotional you know, path that we are kind of asked to take as we come to church. Um, And I'll I'll close with this. We come to church and we hear the words of Scripture, you know, this history of salvation. We are reminded of how much we fall short. I mean, no matter what passage of of Scripture you read, there is that reminder of sin, of of falling short. We come to, to church fully aware, and if we're not fully aware, we'll be reminded of this, that you have nothing to offer God. You come empty-handed. You come just simply bringing yourself. Let's, let's clarify that. We have nothing... Um, we're, we're, not, we're not without worth to offer to God, but in terms of offering a sacrifice of... Yeah, yeah. of uh, we're, we're going back to the idea that to give God justice, we have to have um, a, a, an offering that is as flawless and perfect. As, as, as He is, and we yeah, don't, we have, don't that. have that. Yes. yes. God does want us to come and offer yes. ourselves yes. and our, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. But yes. Then it comes time for the confession. We confess our sins, and then we hear those words of absolution. We have been washed and made new and immediately now it is time to join ourselves with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So that by the time we leave, by the time we leave those doors, we have been reminded of our sin. We have heard, you know, hopefully a homily that that brings Jesus Christ out of the readings. We have confessed our sins, we have been made new, and then we have been able to unite ourselves to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We have literally received his body and blood. And now we are sent back into the world. I mean, 
there's no bigger transformation that we could have, which is why we always make the case, you need to be coming to church as often as possible because it's hard to overstate that transformation, to be cleansed from your sins, to hear the presence of Jesus Christ, to hear the word of God, and then to literally receive his body and blood, and then to walk out of those doors carrying Jesus Christ in your, in your body, in your stomach, the, the, blood, the blood and body of him. It's hard to overstate that. And so that is why Father Steve and I, time and time again, make the case, come to church, make it a habit, bring your kids. Above everything else yeah, at the church, yes. Just show up, yeah. because there is that trust there, that if you're dragging your feet, you walk through the door, the same stuff is gonna happen. And like, listen, I'm, we're both going on holiday. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna be gone on Sunday. I'm going to church on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm on vacation, yeah, but why would I not yeah. go? It's an hour, right? It's an hour, and and here's the benefit: you might hear a bad homily if you're if you're away from home. You might hear, you know, some some singing that's not quite as good as St. Timothy's. That that probably will happen, given how good our, our music is here. But what is going to happen? You'll receive the body absolutely. and blood of Jesus Christ, that, and you won't that, regret it. That kernel of truth is still you there. You won't regret it at all. Yeah, absolutely. Any closing thoughts before we close yep. with the Our Father? Yep. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost, be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.